Well, well, well. Good morning. Good morning. I can now officially say Merry Christmas to you. Right? Craig, as the Bible says, I'm pretty sure it's a Bible verse about not celebrating Christmas till after Thanksgiving, right? Right? I'm pretty sure. If Craig's our, like, Bible fact checker, he knows all 600 Levitical laws by heart. So if I'm ever wrong, yeah, if anytime you want to just ask him a question, he knows it. So there you go. Hey, it's really good to see you guys. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good. Were you able to be thankful? Good. It's good to hear. Hey, we are starting a new series today. And as you've probably been able to tell, it's Advent. And so we're following just the, the normal themes of Advent for the next four weeks. And so really quick, I just wanted, before we jump into the message today, just to give a, a brief background on what Advent is and just the idea. And maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe this is a new concept to you. But Advent is, comes from a word. It's derived from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming. And it's really preparing or expecting the coming of Christ. And so pretty commonly in our tradition right now, it's the four Sundays before Christmas, even before Christmas, and we celebrate the four Sundays leading up to the coming of Christmas. But that's not how it always used to be. It used to start out as that the Advent season was very similar to the time of Lent. And so how many people are thankful that we're not calling the church into a time of fasting and prayer right before all of these good holiday meals? Amen? Amen. The people were hearty amens. Yeah, right. And so they would fast and they would give time of preparation for baptism and coming into the, the new season. And then it changed and became a time of persecution and became into a time of expecting and hoping for Christ, but not for baby Christ or baby Jesus, but for the second coming of Jesus. And so it was time of hopeful expectation of Jesus coming back and coming to save us. And now traditionally it's turned into a time of expectation of Christmas. And it leads us up and starts the meaning of Advent is to start preparing yourself to receive Christ. Or preparing us to come into a place to celebrate the birth of Christ. And it's surrounded by these themes of love and hope and joy and peace. And all of it is designed to create an, a, a, an atmosphere of preparation to receive Jesus Christ. And you know... I. Uh, when they were reading the verse up here and they talked about Mary favored, that God is with you, I just was thinking about how tremendously powerful that is. Because the idea of Advent is that for years and years, thousands of years, the Israelites were expecting, anticipating the Messiah, the Savior. And for years and years and years, they would pray and hope and anticipate and listen to the prophetic words given about the coming God. How incredibly wonderful to hear an angel say, or somebody say, favored woman, favored man, God is with you. We get to live in that promise right now. We're on the other side of, it, of Jesus coming, and now we're anticipating the second coming. But we get to live in the moment right now where God is with you. God's with me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been in seasons of waiting. And sometimes those are the hardest seasons of my life, of waiting for an answer, waiting for an answer to prayer, waiting for direction, waiting for whatever. And it's some of the hardest seasons of our life. But Advent brings us back to a time and creating a culture and creating an atmosphere in our life, one of love, one of joy, one of hope, one of peace, that says all of it coming down to the point of that God is with me. God is with me. 
And we have this symbology, this, this very specific, and I don't know, I can't tell you all what the colors mean right now, but the basic idea of why we have the candles and why we have the wreath is that the world we live in is a fallen world. God is always unanimous with light in the Bible. And it is always at odds with darkness. And we live in a dark and fallen world, and you have surely experienced this in your life, whether you listen to the stories online or you look at Facebook, which is definitely a dark hole, and that is so many other things in our life that just feels dark and heavy. And Advent is a season and a time that reminds us that hope shines out in darkness. That the peace of Christ shines out in darkness. That the joy in Christ shines out in darkness and the love of Christ shines out in the darkness. You know, uh, we, grew, we grew up with this idea of just wanting to create traditions. And when I became a father, I thought, man, how do you start a tradition? You know, I don't know how many of you, how many people have a weird family tradition? I heard of one family that every uh, Valentine's Day, they would wear swimsuits and eat steak. I don't know why. How does that start? I don't know. And so how do you as a father or wife or whatever, how do you guys start a tradition? I was thinking about this today. Advent season is a wonderful tradition you can start with your family. Of taking the time to create the wreath, create the characters, create the candles, put them up. And every Sunday spending time to just as a family at lunch or dinner or sometime just sit down and light a candle. Google a quick Advent devotional. Eat your favorite dessert. You know, when the Jewish men would celebrate Sabbath, they would give, it's, many of them would give their kids on Sabbath a spoonful of honey, so the kids would always correlate that the Sabbath is sweet. And so maybe the, the Advent season, this time of year, if you're looking for a tradition to start with your family, as simple as just taking the Advent idea, going home today, getting your favorite pie, which is obviously blueberry, right? Amen? You don't have to amen that. <laughs> Abby, how dare you shake your head? You're not allowed to come back up here. And just spending time as a family to remember the theme, how this week as a family, or how this week in myself, how this week in my workplace or in my life can I practice hoping in Jesus or loving people around me or being more joy-filled while you're eating your pie and ice cream. You know, I was looking at a quick documentary this week. Will Smith came out this, with this thing, um, The Best Shape of my, my Life. And I don't know, has anybody watched that? It's not, it's not really worth watching. It was fine. But something interesting out of that came out of that was that Will Smith, for many, many years, he would practice as an act of self-discipline at the holidays. His goal was to come back from the holidays in better shape than when he left for the holidays. I once had a roommate in college that when he came back from the holidays, he gained a pound a day while he was away. So he came back almost seven to 10 pounds heavier than when he left. And I don't think that's like an abstract, abnormal story. I know that I have heavy, like a bigger jeans for the Christmas season than what I do for the rest of the year. And so many times we go into the January season and the cheer of Christmas quickly dissipates and we have the dreary Midwestern winter. And so the idea that I want to kind of sow into us today as we start the series on Advent is can we come back from holiday break more spiritually healthy than we went into it? Can we come back 
and be more loving people. People marked by peace. People marked by joy. People marked with a hopeful, hopeful attitude on life. And traditionally, love is normally actually the second or fourth candle of Advent. But to me, I think out of all these, love might be one of the ones that is actually hardest to put into practice. And so I wanted to give us a little bit extra time, a little bit extra cushion this Advent season. So we're starting today with the theme of love to give us a whole month or so to practice and to put into practice the act of love. Amen? Yeah. So can we just pause real quick? And I just want to just again invite God's presence. He's already here. You carried him in with you. He's with you, but let's just pause and just corporately invite God's presence right now. And so, Father, Lord, we just love you and we praise you, God. Lord, how good it is that you are with us. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to bear a cross for my sin, for everyone that came I've ever committed, Father. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to love by showing that love to us. Lord, we just give a second of pause and respect for you. May you speak to our hearts right now. Open our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to get there in just a second. 1 John chapter 4. Or if you have your phones, you're welcome to look that up on your phone. And I'm reading the NLT version today. NLT version today. You know, love is God's trademark. Did you know that? That love is God's trademark. And so a quick Google definition of trademark, it's a symbol or word or words legally registered or established by use as a representing a company or product. God is represented by love. When you experience, when you feel, when you give, when you receive love, you are experiencing the trademark feature characteristic of who God is. Everything that God is, everything that God does is out of, through an act of love, through the lens of love. It is who God is. When you see the word love, it is synonymous with God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I, this was the first week where I sat down and thought about that God has a trademark. It's love. It's really interesting to me. It gives, it's God's legal representation here on earth is love. You know, I used to work for the government. <clears throat> it sounds really cool, but I was a maintenance worker. <laughs> and I used to work at the courthouse. And I used to have a key badge to get inside. And it was my symbol or trademark, and it gave me a lot of different effects, okay? It gave me representation of saying, hey, I'm, I'm part of this organization. And it gave me access to many locked doors. And it gave me helping them to distinguish who I was versus just somebody else who was coming in off the street. And you know what happened if I left my key badge at home? I wasn't allowed to get in. Or I had to wait till my boss who knew me to let me in. And so trademarks or those characteristics do a lot of things for us. And so when we get to love, God's love does, get, gives a lot of things and explains a lot of things of who we are. First of all, it gives allegiance. It shows whose team we are on. Scripture says just a few chapters earlier in 1 John, it actually talks about how the opposite, just like the opposite of light is darkness, the opposite of love is hatred. Now there's hate in us that God can't be in us. 
And so he talks about how love is God's defining characteristic and hate is not. And so it shows allegiance. It shows that when we love and there's love in us and through us, that we're part of God's family. It shows kinship to God. Scripture talks about how when we love, we are known by our love and that it shows that God's our father, that we are children of God, that we'll be known as children of God because of love. And so it gives us kinship to God. And it also gives the manifestation of God's presence here on earth. When we love people, when we receive love, God's manifest presence shows up in that situation. Take a second to really drink that in and think about it. God, intangible, unable to see him or pull him down or touch him, comes back in the presence of love. When you love, God's kingdom is present here on earth right now. When you receive love, heaven comes down and is here present on earth. And so in your office space, you can create a holy moment just by extending love to your coworker. In a conversation with your family, you can put a holy moment, an altar call moment, a Holy Spirit-filled moment right there in that moment. Because when you love, God's presence is manifest. Okay, are you in First John yet? We're going to read a bit of scripture. And would you actually do me a favor? Can we just stand today? When I like to read long passages, I like to stand just in honor of God's word. It's holy and spoken and it does a lot of cool things in our lives. And so 1 John, and we're going to start with uh, chapter 4, verse 7, and we're going to read all the way through verse 21. So it says this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. Verse 10. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he is in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now we testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we've put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. This shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? He has given us this commandment. Those who love God 
must also love their Christian brother and sisters. You can take a seat. Man, Terry, we could probably wrap the sermon up right there, buddy, right? We're just done. This little bit of scripture, this little passage is just so jam-packed full with love. And all of these different characteristics of love. And so really quick before we move on in the sermon, I just kind of want to break down just a few and just draw your attention to a few of those verses again. To go back to that point of allegiance and kinship and God's manifest presence. In verse 7, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Love comes from God. It's his trademark move. It's his trademark uh, mark here on earth. Anyone who loves God is a child of God. You know, love shows that we're children of God. It, when, children, when we have children, they, they model who we are. Not just in looks, which often is very, uh, often very apparent and very there, but in action. I used to have a boss that said, I can tell you're your mother's son by how you walk. And I looked at him because he was kind of weird. And I was like, who are you? What are you talking about? And he said, I've noticed over time that if I watch how a kid walks and then watch how their parent walks, they model how their parent walks. They have a certain gait or a certain swagger or a certain way that they walk. A kid will walk how his parents will walk. Love is the defining characteristic of who God is. And when we follow God in that, it shows that we are God's, part of God's family. Because children model the parents. If you've ever said, I will not be like my father, or I will not be like my mother, and then you realize that later on, I've become my father, or I've become my mother, you know what I'm talking about. We cook way too much food. We have an open outdoor policy. We love having big parties, and we're very bad at planning schedules. I gained that all from my parents. And so I have no personal responsibility for it, so it's perfect. You know, one commenter on 1 John, he points out is that our expression of love for others marks the genuineness of love for God. Because loving somebody, and John talks about this, is not a new commandment. We actually get this commandment for the first time all the way back in Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18 says, Love God, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the first time we see this command to love your neighbor show up. And Jesus reaffirms this in the New Testament. If you look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And so all these religious leaders were just gathering around Jesus, trying to trap him or trying to understand or trying to learn from him, and they're throwing all these really hard questions at him. So one group was stumped, and so the next group, the Sadducees, took it up, and they said, One of them... An expert in the religious law, he tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important law in the laws of Moses? And again, there's so many of them. 600, over 600 just in Leviticus. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And the thing that struck me in that is that, did you see there, right there, it says, as equally important is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That really struck a chord in me this week, because you know that God's a very jealous God. 
He says that in scripture, that he is jealous for your attention. He knows the best thing for you is if you can give your entire heart, entire attention, have no divided focus to him. Yet Jesus comes and takes a very familiar passage, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says the best thing, the most important thing you can do is love God with everything you have. But equally important to that, two on the list but not on status, is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's crazy. But I really think it's because God's manifested presence is, shows up in love. It's so when you love your neighbor, it's not that you're taking away time or attention from God. It's that God's showing up in that act. And so when you love God with your time, with your energy, with your heart, with your attention, but then you take the time to love your neighbor, God's there. Going back to our scripture, verse 11. 1 John 4, verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives on us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. When you start to love, you start to experience God's love in you to its fullest extent. A selfish love is just one way. Just loving God, just being self-composed, uh, just drawing walls around yourself. But when you break those walls down, it says when we start to extend that love to the people around us, the people in community to us, the people that we are next to, we actually start to experience, and God's love comes to full expression in us. And so it gives me this thought is that we can't fully experience God's love unless we are ourselves loving people around us. So God's love becomes more and more perfected in us as we're doing it. And so as you're giving love, you're also receiving love, and that love is becoming more and more evident in you. And you know, this is such a timely and appropriate theme to talk about because the last four weeks were heavy weeks. We talked about mission and vision. And vision, by the way, is what? You say church bus? <laughs> vision is the place that we're going, which is bringing them in, raise them up, and send them out. And mission is connecting to... <laughs> Connecting to God, people, purpose, and hope. That's the church bus. That's the thing that's going to get us to that point. How do we bring people in? By connecting to God, connecting to others. Right, right, right. We don't need to go back. Go listen to the series. Anyways, we just listened to, we just went through four weeks of going through what is vision, mission at Church on the Rock. How are we going to do it? We talked about spiritual practices, spiritual formation, how we become a, more like Jesus. How do we start doing the things of Jesus? How do we become a disciple? What does a disciple look like? All of these things. And when, I don't know about you, but sometimes Christian life can feel a little overwhelming. Sometimes it can feel a little bit much. Sometimes it can feel like, man, I'm supposed to fast and pray and vision and mission, and I'm supposed to worship corporately and individually and memorize my scripture and have a quiet time and uh, do contemplative prayer and regular prayer and quiet prayer and quiet times and decide, and what do I do? How do I do all that? And I love Jesus' answer is that there's so many things you could do, but it all starts with love. And if you just start loving, you'll figure the rest out. The rest of it will come naturally. All the other things are kind of on the side and helpful to get you to the place where you need to be, but it all is centered around love because 
God is love. When you love God, when you love others, God's manifest presence shows up. And you'll start being able to figure out the rest of it right there. And so if you're feeling guilt or you're feeling like I don't read my Bible enough or I don't pray enough or I'm not a good enough person, uh, take a second, take a breath and focus on just love. Because you will become a better person. You'll become a better disciple. You'll become the Christian. You'll become the person that Christ uh, is expecting you to become if you just start continuing to start loving. And so hopefully for you, as it does for me, it puts it into better perspective. Or it helps me to be able to handle all of the things we just talked about by focusing on this one thing. Am I becoming a loving person? Am I becoming a loving person? And you know what? It starts really sloppy and it is not, we're not great at it. I have a, just over a one-year-old daughter and she likes to wake up early and so around five or six o'clock in the morning, uh, a lot of times we'll grab her and pull her into bed with us for another 20, 30 minutes or something she'll go back to sleep. And so the other day I, I grabbed her and pulled her into bed and she was sleeping and I, I felt, I was like really out of it, went back to sleep, had a rough night of sleep and just, so I was really, really out of it. And all of a sudden, I was jolted awake when I was bit on my eye. Like, ah! Piranha! Okay. What is going on? And I realized that it was Nellie, and she was trying to give me a kiss. But she's snotty nose and drooling mouth, and she's got her open teeth like, ah! Okay. And it just jolted me awake. But do you think I was like, toss her out of the bed? Like, get away from me. Or do you think I was like, oh, I love you. Get out of bed and make her a granola bar. I'm not going to make her food. I'm just going to pull a granola bar out of the oven. But you know how loving I felt? Do you know how much love I felt? Do you know how sloppy and how terrible that kiss was? It was terrible. <laughs> Zero out of ten, man. Zero out of ten. Don't bite the person's eyeball. But as we love, we start to grow in love. As we start off in love and we start to give love, we start to receive love. And as we love, God's manifest presence shows up and starts being completed and perfected in us. Our love for God is the trademark of God. It shows an allegiance to God, kinship with God, and the tangible presence of God here on earth. You Pastor Eugene Peterson, you guys hear me quote him all the time. Just a highly respected pastor to me, the pastor I hope to become. And he did a whole sermon on 1 John about love. And he has this idea that I just want to bring with you guys that he shared in his sermon. And so the John in the gospel, the John in the New Testament, disciple of Jesus, he actually has accredited five books in the Bible. The gospel of John and Revelation. And then the three epistles that we have, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And so the gospel of John is his actual experience and origin story of Jesus. It's the, it's the time and he was with God and he wrote down and accredited all those experiences of having Jesus here on earth. And then he writes about revelation of when Jesus has left, but the forthcoming of Jesus. End times and all of that fun stuff about when Jesus is coming back. And so Eugene Peterson brings up this, really me this good mental image I think is really beautiful and it helps put in perspective the books of John. And so if you imagine a town in the middle... Maybe something like this. And you imagine mountains on every side. And so maybe they're these black walls. And on one side you have the beginning with the gospel of John. 
And the other side, you have the revelation of John. But here in the valley is the town. And in the town is daily life. On the weekends, people would go up and they pack a basket and they go up a mountain and they go for Sunday worship and they would gather with their church and they gather with their friends and they would sing songs, open scripture, and get into the life and the way of Jesus. Or they get into the forthcoming of Jesus and how he's coming in the future and the end times. And they would scale these mountains, but then they would go back down to the valley and live their normal day-to-day life. And on Sunday, it's, it's really easy to love God on Sunday. We set aside work, we set aside time, we spend it with our family, we spend it with our friends, we do cut the grass, we watch football, we go to church, we do corporate worship. But then when we go to the valley, our mindset is often overtaken with the normal day-to-day functions of life. Going to work and getting your kids out of the school on time and what's for dinner and are you cooking and I have to go cut the grass or rake the leaves and the billion other things that we have to do in our daily life, right? And so he says, uh, Eugene Peterson says this, the gospel and revelation are big books, extravagant workings of the holy imagination, giving us a feel for the largeness, complexity, and intimacy of the Christian life. The letters, though, are three fairly brief pastoral letters in which John writes to a small community of Christians who are having difficulty getting along with one another. And so the epistles of John, the first, second, third John, we don't know exactly what he's speaking into, what issue he's speaking into, but we do know that the primary theme of the first, second, third John is love. If you, if you have your Bible and you just thumb through it, you'll notice that those three books of the Bible only make up about a couple pages of Scripture. They're very, very short. But in these short pictures, in these short few pages. I looked it up this week. It's something like 60 or 70 plus times love is mentioned. 60 or 70 plus times in just a few pages. And so John's bringing this focus on the day-to-day living of how do I live in the valley? How do I do day-to-day life? How do I go about just my normal day and what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do when I don't get along with my neighbor or my cousin or my boss or my kids? What do I do with those? And he gives us this idea, this concept of love. As you know, Jesus reaffirmed it in Matthew 22, and we get it the first time in Leviticus. But I think our fallen human nature is that we're always just kind of looking for that, like, what's, like, what's one toe over the line? Okay? It's kind of like we do awakening series or 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. It's coming up. And so, you know, some years, uh, when I first started this, I really new to fasting and still am in a lot of ways. But when I first started, it was like, okay, we're going to just cut out these things, like no sugar and all this stuff. But then I would do no sugar, but then I would do, I like eat a jar of peanut butter and a box of raisins like a week, you know. Like it's not sugar, but it's like, you know, I mean, it's not, it's like, a, it's pretty healthy, right? It's like, you know. Yeah, it's the sweet kind. I'm not going to do the natural crap, okay? It's not, it's like Skippy's smooth peanut butter, okay? And so we're always looking for the edge, that toe over the line. And so we have this really clear commandment, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus deals with this in Luke chapter 10. It says, one day an expert in the religious law stood up to Jesus asking this question, teacher, 
What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord with your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Oh, sorry, sorry. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said, do this and you will live. So the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so we get this really clear command of love your neighbor as yourself, but then our human fallen nature, the one that lives in the darkness, goes, well, wait up. Are you talking about, like, left and right of me, or do I have to love the person across the street, too? Like, how far, what's the radius of this love circle? And so Jesus starts speaking into it, and we get that story of the Good Samaritan. And you get the story of the man that's beaten and broken and, and bruised and lying ready for death on the side of the road. And you get the religious experts of the time walking by, walking by, and walking by. And then there's this deep racial tension that Jesus pulls on of a Samaritan versus a, 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 a Jewish person. Deep historical fighting and anger, and he pulls on this tension, and he takes the most least likely person that you would think would stop and help. And he uses that person to say, that's the person that stopped and helped. And then he asks the question, who showed love to the neighbor? And the religious expert says, the man that showed mercy. And so Jesus is breaking down and trying to create this, get us out of the mindset of, what's, not what's the least I can do, what does a lifestyle of living in love look like? Love my neighbor is not a definable term. It's for anybody I come into contact with. Because God doesn't discriminate his love to us. It's not just for the people at Church on the Rock. It's not just for us in fill in the blank of where you live. Or fill in the blank of whatever else you use to define yourself. For every single person ever been and ever will be. And God creates this picture of saying, who's your neighbor? The person in need. The person you encounter on the road. Tribalism, and we've done some work on this earlier in the year too, in the community series. But tribalism is this, we've moved away from the strong family group to tribalism, which is this group of finding people, the echo chambers, and where you're politically aligned or religiously aligned or people that echo you and you become aggressive and it's community but it's the dark side of community where you gather with people and it's an us versus them mentality if you take your kids to school you're an idiot if you homeschool your kids you're an idiot if you eat this brand of blah 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 you're crazy if you like anything else except for blueberry pie abby i can't even look at you And so it's creating this idea of us versus them, where the kingdom of God is us for them. And so God says, love me and love your neighbor, and go into it and breaks down walls instead of creating walls to keep people out. The gospel of God goes forward to bring people in. And that's part of the vision that the church was planted with. Bring them in, raise them up, and send them out to bring them in and raise them up and to send them out to bring them in to raise them up to send them out. And we see this idea perpetuated in scripture, love your God and love your neighbor. Simple as that. This can be really difficult for us people that like to create lists though. 
This can be really difficult for us people that like to create a three steps to creating a more a loving presence and becoming a person of love and like Jesus in our life. Because love, you know, surprisingly, there's little scripture on it compared to many other things. There's not a lot of scripture defining or giving you specifics of what love looks like. You have 1 Corinthians 13 that give you all the characteristics of love. And you have all of John that we just talked through that talks about if you are love, what that does for you and what that defines in you. But we don't have anything like do this to love somebody. Because love is incredibly specific and contextualized to who you are and the person you're in this situation with. If I've had a long day of work and I go home and my wife starts rubbing my shoulders, I feel incredibly loved by that. If I come to the office and John McGilvery starts rubbing me my shoulders, I feel incredibly uncomfortable by that. <laughs> Not that much. And so love, I cannot stand up here and tell you exactly how to go love somebody because it will look incredibly different. Is it as simple as giving a quarter to somebody at Aldi for a cart? Or taking their cart so they don't have to walk with their kids all the way back to put it back in? Is it as big as paying for somebody's that they, a bill, a need that you know that they need and giving and sacrificing? Maybe. What is it? I can't define that for you today because it's specific and contextual to who you are and your situation. If you start taking time to reflect on how you felt from God and how many times he's, you felt loved by him, I wonder how, many, how different that would be from person to person to person. A moment in time where you just felt God's presence and felt cared for and seen by the Holy Spirit. I could tell you mine, but they're just abstract, abnormal things that just happened specifically to me in my life. The right person at the right moment when I said, God, if you're even there, would you just let this happen? And then it happened. Or just not even feeling the things, but coming to scripture and starting to read and saying, that verse affirmed it. As many ways as God's connected with you, we have the same opportunity in the valley to go connect with other people. And so I can't give you specific things, but I'll, we'll end with this idea today. Is I'll give you one idea that maybe will help guide us in this Advent season of love. And so that's this. Present is the best present. Dallas Willard says the first act of love is always the giving of attention. You know, this, this, the Christmas season is usually marked by an uptick in hurry. I have this party to go to, or this party to go to, or I have this, uh, you know, this list, or I have to go buy these gifts, or I have to go get this done, or these projects I need to finish before Christmas. And you have all of these things going on and on and on. And usually when we get to January, we're just exhausted, tired people. But John Mark Homer says it this way, that there's never love in hurry. When you start to hurry... Hurry is usually marked by impatience. Hurry is marked by belittling somebody else's time over your time. Hurry, when it's inconvenienced, so it gets angry and mad because you frustrate the system. I don't have time for this delay. I don't have time for this line. I don't have time for this server that's taking 40 minutes to get my food. 
I don't have time for your problem. I have things to do. And so perhaps this season, the first act, the first thing we can do to start exemplifying the love that God gives us is just to slow down. Being present in the situation you are. And you know, we came out of, we just came out of Black Friday and all those good sales and stuff. And me and my wife traditionally, historically, we get all of our Christmas shopping done by Friday. Like, just all done. And we have just large families on both sides. And so it's usually like a lot of gifts that we're trying to figure out. And so it can be a very consuming thing. And I had to sit down and realize sometime in mid-Friday afternoon is that we are not loving our kids very well right now. We need to slow down. We need, to take a pit. we need to take a beat. We need to put our phones down for the next hour. We just need to be with our kids. And so maybe that's the first step, is that kids are not the only people that desire your presence. I was at, uh, Nora did ballet for the first time. She's five, and she just signed up for some classes at the Park Center. And I went with the intention of like, oh, man, I'm going to, maybe I'll get to meet some other guys in Sycamore area and just get to hang out and stuff. Do you know how hard it was to connect with somebody? Because we have phones. And so I'd sit there and put my phone in my pocket, and I'm like, unless I'm going to reach over and pull this guy's headphone out of his ear, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to connect with this guy. We're so distracted. We always have that constant stimuli. We always have that constant wall because conversations are awkward. I don't really love small talk. I don't know about you. It can be very difficult. But when you take the time to be present in the situation you're at, you start overwhelmingly getting opportunities to love people. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. One of the very first characteristics is love is patient, love is kind. And so in this season, I just maybe encourage you to start taking a beat of how can I slow down? How can I build margin into the busyness of the Christmas holiday season? Maybe it's as simple as just keeping your phone off in transit. Maybe it's making a, 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 a pact with yourself is that you're going to keep your, uh, when somebody talks, you're going to look at them while they're talking and not think about the next thing you're going to reply with. I don't know what it is for you because love is contextualized to your specific situation. I know what, would, I know what I'm personally convicted with and how I can love. But maybe not all of you have a five-year-old that you need to get on the floor and play Octonauts with. This is the last example here, and I don't know if this will hit you or if it's just going to be silly, but stick with me. We're getting our kids uh, uh, for the first time kind of involved into video games. They, they've really had no experience there. We don't even really let them do phones. But at the library last week, I found Super Nintendo, the, the, the new ones, where it's, you know, all the games are compact and in there. They have all these old retro games. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take this home, and we're going to show Nora and Noble Mario Kart for the first time, like the old first one, right? And so we get this out, and they have no idea what to do. Like, they're, like they don't understand that the left button makes you go left, or, like, what does even A do? And so we're kind of, like, just letting them go with it or whatever. And I look over after a while, and they're, they've both managed to find themselves going the wrong way in the grass, and they're just jumping. 
Like they're just doing, 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 doing. And they're not moving anywhere. They're completely off the track. And all the other racers are just going around and stuff. And there's this angry turtle in a cloud. And if you've never played Mario Kart, this may sound really, really weird. But that's how the game is. And there's this angry turtle in the cloud that's just sitting there and looking at them saying, wrong way, wrong way, wrong way, turn around, turn around. And as I was thinking about this this week, that is life. The racetrack is where we get to go fast. The racetrack is where we get to earn a name for ourselves. We get to know if we're in first place or last place. It's where we pass people up. It's where we get things done. And the whole world wants you to do that. They want you to get on the racetrack and they want you to go fast. They want you to accomplish the list. They want you to pass people by and even put a turtle in the cloud to tell you they're going the wrong way. Sometimes I think that God just is on the, not there, but he's in the grass, way off. Just sitting and hanging out and jumping around. Ding, 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 ding. And so I don't know if that helps you or not. But for me, it really put in my mind how fast-paced I like to live my life. How easy it is that when I'm on the racetrack, it is to pass people by. And how when I'm over the grass, I have opportunity to love people. And to feel God's presence. prayer team, you can start preparing your way to come up. We're going to go back into a time of worship for a little bit. And the altar team's up here. They'll be available to you. Um, every week we just create an opportunity for you to receive prayer, to receive encouragement. And so if you are looking for that this week, I encourage you to come up. And here's a couple questions that I'd like to give you to maybe think this week or today about is Holy Spirit, in your prayer time, Holy Spirit, how am I doing on becoming a person or a presence of love? Scripture, David talked about, he search me, try me, show me the areas where I'm not making it. That's a vulnerable, hard conversation. You can't move forward unless you take an accurate evaluation of where you're at. Holy Spirit, where am I at? How am I becoming a person of love? Holy Spirit, this Advent season, how can I slow down to be a loving presence? Holy Spirit, who in my life right now needs my love and my attention? 